CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. It's Friday, and that means it is time for Options Action on the Big Show tonight. When you hear Kraft, it likely brings to mind childhood images of shelf-stable pasta bathed in melted yellow cheese. Mm. But when Carter Worth hears Kraft, all he sees is green, probably for many reasons, but he'll explain the big one. Then, if you need more than just mac and cheese, Tony is running to Walmart. He'll help you load your cart with a little of that name. And finally, there's no way to make another food pun out of this one. So we're just going to give it to you straight. Bank dividends, just what is going on there to explain Mike Coe reprises his role of professor in tonight's dinner theater. It is time to risk less to make more. And let's get right to it here. Local economies continue to reopen across the nation, and the consumer staples ETF has risen more than 10 percent off March lows. But there might be only a handful of names within it that have all the ingredients for a continued run higher. The chart master, Carter Worth, has been in the kitchen, turkey with a secret sauce based on the one stock. Carter, have you been crafting something for us? Exactly. How clever. Crafting and clever. And here we go. So uh, before we look at a couple of charts, I mean, this has been a disaster of a stock. What we know, of course, is it it peaked almost four years ago at basically $98 and bottomed this year uh, at 20. You're talking about a 79 percent decline. It's not loved. Only two analysts consider it a buy. And yet two people hold almost 50 percent of the stock. Warren Buffett, of course, and 3G uh, Global. But anyway, a few charts. So here is the first chart, and uh, what we see is that it has all the characteristics of a bottoming out formation, a bearish to bullish reversal. You can see the 150-day moving average starting to flatten and actually rise. The second chart is the same time frame, but it's just showing you a, another way. It's the trend line, meaning uh, Kraft Heinz has broken above the downtrend line, in effect, since it peaked back in February 2017 at, at 98 bucks. The third chart, I wanted to zero in on the events of two years ago. And what you see here is, of course, when the stock plunged. It had an SEC investigation, took a $15 billion charge there in February of 2019. You could see the drop, the stock plunging 48 to 35. And it's been basing ever since. And then the question is, can we move into that gap to the upside? So take a look at chart number four. This is the same chart, sort of up close and personal. And, and this is the opportunity. Again, the stock drops on 135 million shares, trades 6 million on average, and now, uh, two years later, is toying with the prospects of moving into that gap. And so the final chart, uh, the fifth chart, shows you the importance of the current level. The stock continues to bump up against the 3350, 34 level, and a breakout here would be, in principle, uh, clear sailing all the way up to the mid to low 40s. I think it's a tremendous opportunity. Uh, nobody likes it. You just got a downgrade by uh, Moody's today, a classic contrarian uh, kind of indicator. We think this is real good. Tremendous opportunity, Mike. What's the trade here? Yeah, so this is an interesting situation because, uh, as Carter pointed out, there's not a lot of places in the market where we don't see at least some signs of, you know, shall we say, irrational exuberance. This thing is trading at less than 15 times earnings. And obviously, those are fairly stable earnings, fairly stable revenues. It's not a growth stock, but it isn't priced like one either. What's interesting to me is that these are the types of buy and hold stocks that people used to look to in the past and try to collect some dividends. It's also the kind of stock 
where some fairly traditional investment strategies that we like to use in options might have been appropriate. And of course, with all the volatility that we've been seeing lately, some of those investment strategies have been harder to identify. But I was taking a look at this today, and I noticed that the implied volatility has gone up quite a lot, and yet the stock isn't overly expensive. So I think this is an interesting setup for a put right. A put right is a situation where you sell a downside put on a stock, you collect the premium. If the stock stays here, you get to keep the premium. If the stock goes higher, you get to collect the premium. And the worst case is that the stock drops below the strike that you sold and you end up buying the stock, but you end up buying it at a discount. You'll buy it at the strike, less the premium that you collected. And because options premiums are higher now, the amount that you're collecting is also higher. I was looking at the August 32 and a half puts. When I was looking at this earlier today, you could collect $1.90 for those. Now, normally when I look at these types of strategies, I'm looking to collect, in a normal market condition, maybe 1% of the stock price. Here we're collecting close to 6% of the current stock price. The downside risk is that you would own it at 32 and a half, a $1 discount to where it closed today. Of course, and you're also going to still have that $1.90 you collected. So to me, this is not a stock that you're looking to hit it out of the park and see 15, 20% gains in a short time because it's not that kind of a growth story. But it is an unusual situation where we can now collect substantially more premium than we would have normally been able to if the markets weren't as disrupted as they have been. We don't often talk about put rights, Tony. What do you make of this trade? Yeah, so as Mike said, 1% is usually what we target on a put right. Getting 6%, that's very attractive. And I think Carter has found a phenomenal setup. You have this multi-year bottoming formation that's just about to break out. And there's a lot of potential here. But that's my concern here is that it's potential uh, here. Because Kraft hasn't seen any revenue growth since 2016. They've been working on this turnaround story since 2018. I would like to see this stock actually break out, even by a couple of bucks above that $33, $34 major triple top that we have here. As Carter said, there's a lot of upside here up into the low 40s. So even I'd like to be a little patient here, wait for that breakout, and then perhaps buy some calls here. That would be my preference. Carter, your response? Well, that's right. I mean, so there's two types of technique, and, and, and waiting for a breakout is, is much safer. We Sometimes you miss it because the breakout, like a Spotify, is so big that it's almost too late. It's up 12, 15%. It would take a news catalyst to do that. Um, but we want to put the trade on here and then in the event of a breakout, get even bigger. One thing to note, of course, also is in their troubles, they've cut the dividend. But now they've also indicated that the dividend that at reduced level is good. They're earning the dividend, paying at a buck 60, earning about 250. It's a yield of almost 5%. We think that also adds to the charm of this crafty and clever pick. Crafty. you got a pun of your own, Carter. Mike, last word. Do you have a pun for us? <laughs> no puns. I'll leave those to you and to Carter. But I think this is really the idea here that we're sort of we're splitting right down the middle what Tony was talking about, what Carter's talking about. Selling a put is the sort of way that you can bide your time. You're going to get long the stock at a lower level if it does dip. And, of course, if it does start to break out, then we can look to do something more aggressive on the upside. All right. Let's stick with Staples here. And Tony's taking a look at a way to play another one of the biggest names in the consumer space. Tony? Yeah, we've been talking about retailers for a while, but I actually think Walmart here is very uh, well uh, as a, a good standout here from the retail space, both on the short term and the long term. Now, if we first look at the chart, when I looked at this earlier today, I actually didn't think the chart looked particularly strong. It recently broke below that 120 support level, which is a major level for me. But when I started taking a look at the fundamentals, 
I actually think the current weakness that we see here is actually an attractive uh, long opportunity here from a risk reward perspective. So if we look at the Walmart business, the e-commerce business is the one that we want to focus on. This is the one where Amazon dominates this entire space. Their e-commerce business is almost seven times larger than Walmart, but Walmart has recently struggled with their e-commerce business, but has really come to life here in the last year. They've been growing, growing about 39% over the last year on their e-commerce business versus only half of that for Amazon. Amazon about 20%. And if you look at the grocery business, this is really where Walmart currently dominates and Amazon is trying to play catch up. But as a result of the recent COVID turnaround, what we've seen is that Amazon, uh, Walmart has been, uh, has been um, investing heavily in their online grocery and their digital strategy for pickup. And this is really where Walmart's physical stores outshine Amazon because most Americans live within 10 miles of a Walmart store. So they've seen almost a 200% month over month growth in their online grocery business. So overall, I really like Walmart both on the short term and the long term from their e-commerce prospects. And especially if you see today when Apple announced that they were shutting down some stores and we saw a sell off in the markets, Walmart saw some strength as a result of that. So I really like this particular stock in the current weakness that we're seeing. So the strategy that I'm looking to use here is the same strategy that Mike used. And I, I'm, I'm concerned that people are going to say that I'm, copy, I'm, I'm copying Mike here. But the, the strategy I'm looking to use is really a strategy that I think is very underutilized by many equity investors, which is selling a cash secured put to acquire a stock that you like at a particular discount. So the strategy I'm looking here is to go out to July. I'm looking at the July 31st 118 puts. By selling that earlier today, I can collect about $2.83. Now, as Mike said, we usually target about a 1% discount on these cash secured puts to purchase the stock. But here I'm collecting almost 3% here, and my break-even price here is about 115.17, which gives me the ability to purchase the stock at about 4 to 5% below the current price of the current stock price. Mike, I will go to you um, to, so you can comment on whether or not you think Tony's copying you. But I, I think this really has to do with where the markets are, where valuations are, and where, where volatility is right now. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we have a situation where it's another stable stock and it's another situation where options premiums are elevated. It's another situation where the revenue situation for the company is relatively stable. Those are the kinds of setups we like for put rights. And for anybody who thinks he's copying me, he definitely isn't. Today was expiration. No chance we were talking during the trading day today. We had a lot of other things to do. I was pretty busy. I didn't know what he was going to come up with, and he didn't know what I was going to come up with. I'm finding out now, but I do happen to like the idea. Yeah. Carter, how about you? Well, I mean, uh, Tony led with the comment, and, he, and he's right, of course, that the chart is poor. And so uh, while sometimes the fundamentals can trump uh, a bad chart, and it's not a horrific chart, what we do know is that Walmart's beta is literally a 0.5 versus Staples at a 0.7 versus the market, of course, at 1. And for it to be underperforming like this, down 12% from its peak, I just, it doesn't feel like it's going lower. I don't think that's the worry, but I don't think it's going higher either. It just feels like a sort of a dull duck here. Yeah. Tony, last word? Well, that's why I kind of like selling these puts to acquire the stock for the long term. I agree with Carter in the short run. I have concerns in the short run, but I'm looking for this uh, to use Walmart as a long-term investment here against Amazon and Target. All right. Coming up next, with the Fed's big bank stress test right around the corner, there's a dislocation in dividends of some of the financial stocks. The professor, Mike Coe, will walk us through that. And for everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter. Stay tuned. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Fed stress tests are fast approaching for the big banks and the financials suddenly find themselves in a potentially precarious position. The Bean Down Group made about 70 percent less profit in Q1 than it did during the same period in 2019. And options traders are betting that could spell bad news for dividends. So if you're looking to play the big banks right now, how do you do it? That sounds like the perfect question for Professor Ko. And he is here with his call to action. Mike, take it away. Yeah, so this is an interesting situation. You know, a lot of times in markets like this, people might look to stocks that pay big dividends as maybe safe havens. I think this is a dangerous exercise when you see dividends get very, very large, though, in percentage terms. And we're certainly seeing that in some of the financials. Take a look at a name like Wells Fargo, for example. This is a stock that has about a 7.4% dividend yield at the moment. Now, that might seem appealing. But that usually tells you that there's a good chance that the dividends are at risk. And if we take a look at what the options market is implying, we are seeing that as well. We're seeing that in many cases, for the banks in particular, the high dividends that they're paying might actually be a little bit higher than what you're going to end up getting if there are some form of dividend cuts. And in some cases, that's what they're implying. And of course, as you pointed out, we have the stress test coming up. So when you hear us talking about the implied dividend, you know, we talk about that quite a lot. But you might be wondering how we come up with that. Well, the way we do that is we compare the price of a stock to its synthetic equivalent in the options market. What is that? Well, what we can do is we can actually replicate the performance of stock by buying a call and selling the same strike put, same expiration put. So here's an example. If I went out and bought the January 100 call, for example, and sold the January 100 put on a stock, and I took the net debit or credit of that transaction and added it to the strike, that's the price of my synthetic stock, and I can compare it to the actual stock. The principal difference between the synthetic stock that I created with options and the real thing is that options don't pay dividends. The stock does. So generally what you're going to end up seeing is that As the implied dividend is falling, you're going to see that the price of stock relative to its synthetic equivalent will drop. Contrarily, if you start to see dividends go up or implied dividends rise, the price of stock is going to rise compared to its synthetic equivalent. And so when we take a look at this for a number of stocks, including stocks like J.P. Morgan, we can see that there's maybe a 30% chance or so that at some point within the next year, we're going to see a dividend cut. Does that mean it's going to happen? No. But it does mean that some of these high dividends may be at risk. And actually, a lot of people who just buy stocks will tell you the same thing. So if you are looking at this space thinking, now's the time to get long, I would urge a lot of caution. And the thing is, if you own a basket of stocks, like the S&P 500, you also own some financials. And maybe you're a little bit concerned about the Fed stress test. Maybe you're a little bit concerned about those troublesome-looking dividends. You can hedge out that risk or make a bearish bet without getting unlimited risk to the upside. I was looking at XLF specifically, the 24-20 put spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, you would spend about $1.15 to buy that put spread. Now, I'd point out that actually XLF was below that 24 strike, so it's slightly in the money. And that's one of the reasons that we're willing to pay a little bit more for that than we normally would. Normally, we're looking to spend about 25% of the distance between the strikes or less. But I think the important takeaway here is that when you see exceptionally high dividends, they might be tempting. Don't be fooled into chasing those stocks, though, because usually unusually high dividends 
mean unusually high risk. I mean, the, the new wrinkle today, Carter, of course, is that the vice chair of supervision, Randy Quarles, said that there's going to be an addition, additional sensitivity analysis layered into the stress test to test for various scenarios in the economy because of the coronavirus pandemic. So LVW, that's all going to be tested here. So there's another layer of uncertainty in this whole mix. There's, and at the end of the day, we have these great adages that are uh, popular because often they're right. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Don't fight the Fed. Don't catch the falling earth. One of them is if it's cheap, uh, it belongs where it is. It's not cheap. Cheap's a, a four-letter word, meaning there's something wrong. And I, I think this is where the hopes are that somehow, you know, the financial sector really never got above its 07 high. The BKX index never got above its 07 high. Um, on a relative basis, the BKX index is below its 09 relative low. Now, the XLF does have insurers in it. Berkshire's the biggest holding. But, I mean, even earlier we were talking about price to book. I mean, these kinds of things, that's what a value trap is. Tony, your thoughts on uh, Mike's strategy? So as far as a hedge, because I think the downside risks clearly are skewed to the downside with respect to financials with the stress test, I think Mike's trade makes a lot of sense as a way to hedge yourself. The only thing that I would potentially modify slightly on his strategy is that I might not sell the 20 strike, which is pretty far away. That's almost 16% move to the downside. I would look to move that up a little higher to maybe the 21 strike, trade a slightly, uh, a slightly narrower vertical in that particular case. And just one comment on the implied dividends. While I think implied dividends is an extremely interesting use case of how you can utilize dividends to predict what might happen in the future that, that you can't get anywhere else, one of the things is that the information that's embedded in that option in my my concern is that it's already also embedded in the stock price. So I want to make sure investors don't necessarily use that as a reason to go out and necessarily short Wells Fargo. And there's a lot of imperial evidence for this as well that shows that when the options are implying a dividend cut, the when the dividend cut actually takes place, the stock doesn't actually drop very much. Yeah, those are good points, Mike. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely true. And I was alluding to that when I was just talking about high dividend yields. High dividend yields by themselves suggest that a lot of bad news has been priced in already. All right. Coming up next, we are making a return trip to two of our open trades. Lyft revving higher while Ford stalls. We'll tell you how our traders are playing those names right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at some of our open trades. A lot of car talk on the show recently, so let's begin with Lyft. Just last week, Tony told traders to prepare for Lyft off. I think the chart here for Lyft is fairly constructive. You have a breakout above $35 resistance. It's come back to retest that as support. And I think this is really coupled with a relative strength constructive for the stock to continue moving higher. I'm going out to the July 10th weekly options expiration, and I'm selling the 36 and a half, 31 and a half put vertical. And I'm collecting about $3.20 for that 36 and a half put. And I'm paying about $1.30 for that 31 and a half put. Well, lo and behold, lift rallying in the last week before falling into the red here. So, uh, Tony, what do you plan to do with this trade now? 
Yeah, so the trade was working beautifully until Apple announced today that they were going to shut down some stores and the stock fell about uh, almost 6%. It is still trading just at that $35 level that I was referring to last week, and the, and the trade itself is actually still flat. So my indication at this point is to hold it till next week, see if we break below 35 If we do, I would cut my losses and get out, but I'm still looking for a potential bounce off that 35 level next week. All right. Well, from ride sharing to auto stocks after a rough week for Ford, Mike put on a trade to help mitigate some losses. I think this is maybe one of the most picture perfect cases I've seen. If you bought the stock earlier this week, perhaps on Monday, which was its high for the past month, uh, obviously you've taken some significant punishment since that time. Uh, So what can you do in the options market? First of all, You want to look at stock recovery strategies. One of the things you can use is a one-by-two call spread overlaid against your long stock position. When I was looking at this earlier today, you could buy one July 7 call. That would cost about 39 cents. And then you could sell two of the eight strike calls against it for about 18 cents each. Well, Ford reversed some of those losses, but it was down today. So, Mike, what do you do with this trade? Phil LeBeau was talking about it earlier this week. It seems like there is a little bit of a rebound in auto sales and light-duty trucks and SUVs in particular, the F-150 being the best-selling vehicle in the U.S. Look, I wasn't advocating people buy the stock, but only trying to come up with a strategy that worked for people who already had. And if you put this trade on over the stock you already owned and you're going to hang on to the stock, I think you hang on to the options trade as well. What do you think of hanging on to the stock card, or what do you see in the charts? It's a bad chart. Uh, I, I, I myself wouldn't hang on to it. Okay. Time to take some tweets. And uh, here's what our first year asks. Should we get into Beyond Meat June calls? Um, Mike, why don't you take that one? Uh, rather than the stock? Sure. Um, but, of course, June expiration just came and went. So I'm assuming you're probably referring to July or August. But if you're looking to make a bullish bet, then I'd rather do it with calls. It's a speculative enough place to be in the stock already. Yeah. Tony, your thoughts on Beyond? Uh, I actually think Beyond Meat's one of those stocks that's quite underestimated, if you will, uh, similar to Zoom. Um, I think it's more of an environmental play. It's more of an ethical play in terms of how people, uh, how consumers are going to consume food products, and especially as we see all these documentaries of, of livestock and, and how how livestock production works. Um, I actually quite like the stock. I think I, I prefer buying call options going out to Ju- July or even August in this particular case as opposed to June. All right. Our next viewer asks, if you own airline stocks, can covered calls alleviate some of the pain while waiting for them to come back, specifically on a stock like JetBlue, which recently said they'll be increasing domestic routes? Mike, what do you say? Uh, well, first of all, covered calls is the same thing as selling puts. And would I be selling puts in the airlines right now? No way. No way. <laughs> Pretty direct answer. All right, time now for the final call, the last word from the options pits. Carter Braxton Borth, what do you say? Kraft Heinz, I'm a big buyer. Mike Coe. Selling uh, puts in, in Kraft Heinz I think makes a lot of sense here. Tony Zhang. I think Walmart here is best of breed for the retailers. I like the stock. I'm going to go long by selling cash-secured puts. All right. That does it for us here on Options Action. We'll see you back here next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Special edition of Fast Money is up next.
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.